Now, good morning, brothers and sisters. Merry Christmas to you. It's an absolute joy to celebrate this time of year, and it's a real joy to celebrate this time of year with you. I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, in your New Testament, 2 Peter, chapter 3. We're going to be there in just a few minutes. We're going to be kind of jumping around a bit, but we're going to start here in 2 Peter 3. It is Advent, as we call it as a church family. Advent is a time of year when we as a church, we call one another to remember and also at the same time to anticipate. We look back the birth of our King. At the same time, we look ahead to His promised return. Christmas is a time to remember. Now, probably everybody in this room, you have some Christmas memories. Maybe you have some really good Christmas memories. Maybe you have some not-so-good Christmas memories. As I was getting ready for this week, I was thinking about, you know, I, <laughs> I grew up in Unicoi County, and I've got a lot of Christmas memories, and things in Unicoi County happen a little different, you know. And so I was thinking about one particular memory that I had when I was growing up, a young guy. And we were there at my house, and I was with my mom and dad, and my brother was there, and I was really young, and I remember distinctly this night. It was really close to Christmas. I had no idea who a knock on our door, and we weren't expecting anybody. I had no idea who it was, and we kind of live out in the country, and you don't just happen to stop by our house. You have to work hard, you know, work hard to get there. And so I go open the door, and there he stands. It's Santa. Red hat, beard, all of it. He has a bag over his shoulder, and I'm like, come in. You know, so we invite Santa in, and he stays for a minute, too. And I'm just this little kid. I'm thinking, it's, it's Santa. I, I know him. It, it, it's incredible. And he sits down. He pulls out of his bag a gift for me and a gift for my brother. And it was so unexpected. He couldn't believe it. And he gets up, and he leaves. So I'm thinking, this is incredible. And I run through the house, and I'm going to go to the window, and I'm going to watch Santa take off from our yard in his sleigh with his eight tiny reindeer. I'm anticipating that, and I run to the window, and I look, and I was a little disappointed because Santa walked down the steps, he went to the back of our house, and he climbs in an old Ford pickup truck and drives off. And I learned that night that in Unicorn County, Santa drives a Ford pickup truck. That's just the way it works. Not a Dodge Ram, Jeremy, not a Chevy. I'm sorry, a, a Ford pickup truck. It's just one of those distinctive Christmas memories for me when I was little. I still don't know who it was. All the parents were like, it was Santa. What do you mean who it was? I, I get it. Christmas we remember. In fact, the Bible calls us as God's people to remember. When we look back to the Christmas story from Scripture, we, we remember, we call to mind some particular specific things. We, we remember and we call to mind the angelic announcement that a king will be born. And we rejoice. We remember and we look back in the story of God's providential guidance and care of Mary and Joseph and how he exempted them specifically to the exact region and the exact town and the exact place where she would give birth to her son. 
We remember the miraculous virgin birth and we look back and we remember the star that guided the magi from the east and they came and looked upon the baby that had been born and we remember and we're grateful for Matthew 121 that says this king, he will save his people from their sins and we rejoice. We look back and we remember the miraculous, this reality of the incarnation that God himself took on flesh, and became a man. And we look back and we remember and we rejoice in those realities, but the Bible doesn't let us stop there. We're to look at that story and then Scripture calls us in God's incredible redemptive plan to not just stop there, but to turn from remembering, looking back, and then to turn that to anticipation of what is coming. Think of it this way, with the same conviction we believe and we build our lives on the reality of the first coming of Jesus, with equal conviction we look ahead to his return and anticipate his absolute return. We anticipate. Webster's Dictionary helped me this week. was wrestling with this idea of anticipate. It's one of those words we use all the time. But Webster defines the word anticipate this way. To look forward to as certain. The word anticipate is the idea that you're, you're looking forward to something with absolute certainty. And in our time of year in Advent, in the same way, again, with certainty, we look back to the reality of The birth of Jesus with equal certainty of the reality and all that is involved with his return. We anticipate, we look forward with absolute certainty. We can do that because the New Testament, God's word, really all of scripture, but particularly the New Testament, calls us to look ahead with certainty to the return of Jesus. 300 times the New Testament points to the return of Jesus. Over 300 references to this absolute reality of the literal, visible, triumphant, glorious return of Jesus. Let me just give you a few this morning. You don't have to look these up. Matthew 25, verse 31, Jesus himself says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. See, the story of his birth tells us that a king has come and been born. But today he's not yet yet sitting on his visible throne ruling the world. Not yet. And we wait with anticipation to that reality. He's coming. And he will rule the throne of the world. Philippians chapter 3, Daniel looked at this last week. The Apostle Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state 
into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our king is coming from there. He will come in glory and he will transform our humble state still in this sinful body, this broken body, into conformity to that body, that glory that we will reign with him forever and ever. Come, Lord Jesus. 1 John 3, verse 2. John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. It's already revealed. It's true. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He, Jesus, appears, we shall be like Him because we will see Him as He is. Come, Lord Jesus. See, if you're a transformed child of God by faith in Jesus alone, that's your identity. That's who you are. You are not who you used to be. But listen, on the authority of Scripture, you're nothing what you're going to be when Jesus returns. Come, Lord Jesus. James chapter 5, verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. In other words, the scripture seems to be clear. There's something to our stability of heart now in how we root our life now in what is coming. He, James says it. He, he says, you also be patient. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Establish your heart. Why, James? How, James? For the coming of the Lord is at hand coming. Jesus' return is certain and sure. Jesus will return exactly as he has promised to do. The question we're going to wrestle with a bit this morning is, is, okay, in light of that, how do we wait and how do we wait well as his disciples? See, that's one of the whole points of this Advent series that we as a church want to have a rhythm where every year it's almost a recalibration of, yes, during Christmas we could do all the regular stuff we do at Christmas and it's great, but it's incomplete if all we do is look back. We're to turn our hearts and our affections to what is coming. How do we wait well now? So last week, Pastor Daniel walked us through the that Jesus' followers wait with hope. This morning, we're going to look at the reality that Jesus' followers wait with purpose. There is a purpose in our waiting. Now, we could go a lot of places in Scripture, but I, I ask you to turn to 2 Peter. The Apostle Peter helps us. The Apostle Peter is going to deal with writing to a group of disciples then, a group of believers then, the reality of how they can have hope, how they can be steadfast, how they can walk in endurance as they fix their eyes on the return of Jesus. It's going to help us this morning with that. So I'm going to read several verses, I don't know, 10, 12 verses. Chapter 3, verse 8. You can follow along as the Apostle Peter writes. He says this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Peter writing again to a group of exiles, a group of believers. We were here last year as a church, you may remember. He says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as in one day. 
Time and the kingdom of eternity doesn't operate exactly the way we see it. It doesn't operate the same. He says the Lord is not slow. Sometimes the Lord feels slow. But the Lord is never slow. May not operate on the table. Amen. Peter says the Lord is never slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. But is patient toward you. If you write in your Bible, mark that. We're going to come back to that. God is patient toward you. Not wishing or willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, just to review really quick context here. Peter's writing to a group in that day, the promised return of birth. It had been 40, 50, 60 years, maybe since Jesus' birth, resurrection, and it had been some time had passed, and the scoffers and the false teachers are saying to these disciples, you don't really believe in that return of Jesus, do you? Come on. In this delay, you're not still putting your hope in this reality of the return of Jesus, and Peter writes to correct that error. He says, verse 10 But the day of the Lord will come. Several phrases in your New Testament to refer to this event of the return of the Lord. His appearing, His revelation, the the day of God, the day of the Lord. It's all the kind of the same reference. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Where did Peter learn this? Well, this is how Jesus taught his return. He said, be awake, be on the alert. You don't know the day nor hour when I'm going to return. Be like a thief. What does that that mean? (laughs) No thief calls the house and says, hey, I'm going to be there tomorrow around 3 to rob you blind. Doesn't work that way. Thief comes when he's least expected. And the point is that you won't know the time. The point is that you you remain ready. You remain on the alert. Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then he describes it a bit. He says, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and its works will, on it will be exposed. Since all these things are let thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness? We'll come back to that in just a minute. He says, verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Now, stop right there a minute. I wrestle with verse 12. I I struggle with it because I I don't understand how it seems that his promised return spurs on godly living and godly living spurs on his return. I don't understand that. Peter says, what sort of people ought you be waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord? He goes on, he says, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. Every created thing will melt away and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. (laughs) You read that and you have to realize as Peter's describing the return of Christ, he's describing there are going to be some things that come to an end. 
There's going to be some things that are no more. The final judgment on the wicked and on sin is coming. The, the end of the curse of sin in the world and the end of death and crying and pain. Some things are going to come to an end. Some things are going to be no more when the Lord returns. And some of those things we rejoice that they're going to be no more. Sin and death and crying and pain is going to be no more. You know what I rejoice in? There's going to be no more usernames and passwords in heaven. Isn't that a good thing? Gone. Some things are going to come to an end, but listen how Peter says. This is glorious, verse 13. But some things are going to begin anew. It says verse 13, but according to his promise, we're waiting. We're waiting for new heavens and a new earth, hour in which righteousness dwells. We could spend the next hour on verse 13 of what it means that there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells perfectly. It's the beginning. This new creation is coming. A perfect creation. A perfect resurrected glorified bodies. Perfect communion with our Lord. Perfect relationships. Perfect government ruled by a perfect king. Perfect cities, perfect economics, perfect work coming with purpose. Says all these things are coming. He says, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 15, keep reading. And he says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, so Peter's writing, and he's going to make reference to some of Paul's writings, we'll look at in just a minute. It says, just as our brother Paul wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him, verse 16, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. These are some things in them that are hard to understand, amen. With the ignorant and unstable, they twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. Jesus in his word has told us everything we need to know. Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Somehow our stability, our confidence, our peace, we'll talk about that in just a minute, is directly related to be sure you're understanding what's coming. Be sure you know the truth, that you don't compromise your own stability. Verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Wow. Followers, the big truth for us this morning again is this, that Jesus' followers wait with purpose. As we wait, we wait with purpose. See, I, I know, you know, you're thinking this, we all think it. I don't like waiting, you don't like waiting, and we sure don't like waiting when it seems to have no purpose. We really don't like waiting on the interstate 
and we see the orange cones for miles and miles and miles, and we drive and we wait to see the construction, and there is no construction, it's just cones. You think that was just no purpose. Why all the cones? We don't like waiting, and we sure don't like waiting without purpose. Peter declares to his readers then, and he's declaring to us every second, every moment, every hour, every day, every year, every decade that Jesus delays, it is never without purpose. Our waiting has a purpose. He shows us what some of those things are in these verses. Let me go back through these really quick, and I'll give you a few big ideas that flow out of it. Look back at verse 9. Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. If you circle in your Bible, circle that reality. Peter says, listen, let me, let me correct this wrong that the false teachers have been saying. God is not slow. He's not passive. He's not late. He's not indifferent. He's not unable. Peter says, the Lord is patient toward you. Peter attempts to correct the mistake and the wrong by, t- by tying it to the very nature and character of God. He said, do you not understand God's patience toward you? And that's our first big waiting. It flows right out of verse 9. big idea is this. In our waiting, we count God's patience as salvation. We count God's patience that we don't understand necessarily the delay. We we don't understand why it's been 2,000 years since the promise of his return. But Peter says, listen, he's never slow about his promises. Some count slowness. But what this is incredible. His timeline seems to be driven by his immense mercy and his patience. So we consider his delay his patience as salvation. Verse 9, again, he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. You can almost hear Peter in his mind. He's rehearsing different passages throughout Scripture that declare an attribute of God being his immense long-suffering and his immense patience. And I, for one, just want to tell you how grateful I am for God's patience towards us. Scripture declares that in places like Romans 2.4, Paul writes and he says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His patience has purpose. His delays have purpose. Paul gets it again, 1 Timothy one. Paul really is writing his own testimony here. and He says in verse 13, it'll be on the screen for you. Paul says, though formerly I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. Paul, again, remember the Apostle Paul, before he becomes the Apostle Paul, was a rebel. And he was an enemy of the church. He was seeking to kill believers and hunt them down. And then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and it changed everything. He says in verse 16, but... I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience. 
In other words, the reality that God has delayed in his return, every one of us in this room who are believers are testimonies and trophies of his patience. Thank you, Lord, that you waited. Some of you in this room, you've, God, over the past year, you've come to know Christ in the last year. God, thank you that you didn't return in 2022. Thank you for your patience towards us. The scriptures holds that out over and over. The patience of the Lord, 1 Peter 3.20. God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. hundred years he waited. And Noah, the preacher of righteousness, was calling them to turn and come. And God's patience and his patience and his patience. Same today. Lord, when are you going to come and make it right? Lord, the world is it's such a mess, and I get all that, and we watch the news, and I get it. And at the same time as you're praying, Lord, you haven't returned today. You may return tomorrow. You may not. But in it, your timeline seems to be driven by your patience and your forbearance. Aspect of your very character. So how do we respond to that? Listen, beloved. We count God's delay as his sovereign, merciful, redemptive Patience. You recount your own story again. You're, you're patient. For, you're, you're grateful for God's patience. And as you think, and as you maybe have names on your mind, and even this Christmas season, you're going to have people coming to your house, and you're going to have family members in your lives, and you're going to have people at work, and you're going to have all these names going through your mind. And maybe God delays another two weeks on the other side of Christmas to give you and to give us time in his patience to continue to take the gospel message, watch, and continue to pl- and repent. That person will turn from their sin and come to Christ in faith and repentance. And if they do, Lord, thank you for your patience. We count now as we wait the patience of the Lord as salvation. Now, it's not all. Keep going. Peter gives us some more. So as we wait with purpose, look, look at verse 11. Let me give you a couple other big ideas that flow out of this. Verse 11 says, Since all these things are thus to be everything's going to pass away. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. So stop right there. I love this. Peter says this. Here's his argument. He says, look, in light of all that's coming, in light of who Christ is, in light of his lordship, his kingship, his coming kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth, that you will be glorified, that you will reign with him, all that is coming, he says, in light of all of this, and then he says, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Here's your next big idea. In our waiting, we pursue growth as disciples of Jesus. I want you to hear Peter's thinking here. I, I want the Spirit of God to use this in your life. He says, in light of all of that, what sort of people ought we to be? Peter's not asking a question, by the way. This is, a, this is not a question. It's not, hey, in light of what Jesus is going to do, in light of his return, what, what sort of people you think we ought to be? It's not a question. Watch. It's an, it's an exclamation. Peter says it this way. In light of what's coming, it will be made of the return of Jesus. In light of the reality that all things will be made new. In light of the reality that you will be found complete in him. In light of all of that. 
what sort of people ought we to be now? He says, in light of that day, it's got to impact the way we live in this day. That's Peter's point. Verse 11, he gets real specific, and we'll walk through some of these really fast. He says, verse 11, he says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of, two words here, holiness and godliness? There's two dimensions grow in both as believers. Those who have come to know Christ continuing to grow in holiness and godliness. What do those mean? We talk about those a lot here. Holiness is the idea. It's this because he is holy, we are called to be separated from sin and set apart unto him. He is other than. He is separated from. He is wholly unique. He is perfect. He is glorious. He is holy. And his people are to practically in our lives be pursuing that same holiness. A putting off of the things that do not look like Jesus. And a putting on of the things that are his character by the power of the Spirit. We are declared holiness. We are declared holy in Christ. Practically we continue to... Pursue holiness in our lives today. This pursuit of holiness motivated by his promised return is laying aside those things in our life that are consistent with our old man and putting on those things in our life that are more consistent with Christ, our new creation, who we are in him. He says, what sort of people ought we to be in holiness? He says, what sort of people ought we to be in godliness? Now, what's the difference? The two words here seem to refer, the, the idea of godliness is more of the attitude or the perspective that you have on all of form by the Godliness is this posture that is informed by the Spirit. It is saturated with the Word of God. You, you, can, see, you can think of it this way. We see everything different. We see the past different. We see the present different. We see the future different. What, from our own mind? No, from the Word of God. We have this godly posture toward everything. You can think of it this way. We live with the end in mind. Your perspective on all of life is different. My greatest pursuits and interests are not those things which will pass away, but those things which are bitterness over loss. My attitude is not one of bitterness over loss or hurt from the past, but joyful anticipation to our true life that will be revealed to Jesus when he returns. We anticipate well, and that informs this posture of godliness that we continue to pursue. Now, let, let me try to help you with that. I think we've got time to do this really quick. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to read you one passage that gives you examples of both of these. Pursuing godliness and pursuing holiness. What does that practically look like as Peter calls, it, calls us to this? Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there if you want. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you. Paul, talking about how to live now in light of what's coming, says it this way in the idea of godliness. He says, verse 1 of Colossians 3, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, who's that? Every believer by faith who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. When he died, you died. When he raised from the dead, you raised from the dead. You are in Christ. So therefore, if you've been up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. That's a godly posture, a godly attitude that we set our minds, not just on the things that are going to pass away, but the things that are eternal. A godly perspective changes everything in our lives. How do we do that? Why do we do that? Listen to what Paul says, verse 3. For you have died. <laughs> See, as a believer, there's a reality of what Jesus taught. Come, death to self, life in Christ. We're dead to the things of the world. Our true life is found in Christ. When is that true life that we have in Christ going to be fully revealed? Paul says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ who is in you all your life is revealed. When he returns, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Come Lord Jesus. Paul says, as we wait now, look back and remember what Christ has done. He has died. He's risen again. You're seated with him. But at the same time, look what is coming. He will return. And your life, it's not even found in this world. Your life and my life is found in Christ, hidden in God. And the full revelation of all that will not be seen until he returns. Therefore, set your mind on things above, things that last forever in Christ. It's an attitude of godliness, see? And then Paul goes on, he says, and then there's holiness. Out of that, there's a practical pursuit. There's a putting off and a putting on in our lives. Listen to what he says, Colossians 1.5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You do battle sin. And you do battle compromise. And we fight for this pursuit of holiness in this life. Put to death desire and immorality. Put to death impurity. Put to death evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. But now you must put them all away. And at the same time, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord and Christ has forgiven you. Wow. He says all of that. In light of who Christ is, in light of his coming return, in light of all the grace that's going to be given to us when he returns, what sort of people ought we to be now? It motivates us. It empowers us. It encourages us. strengthens us. He goes on. He says, 14, Peter gives you another example. What sort of people ought we be now? He says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, in our waiting, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Oh, this is incredible. Spot or blemish is, is the idea of doctrinal and moral purity. It's the idea of a strong reputation. No one can bring something against you. This idea of peace, oh, this is incredible. He says, be diligent to be found at peace. This is the stability of soul that comes from anticipating rightly the promised return of our King. See, one of the reasons we as a church do this thing called Advent, again, is to recalibrate us where you find peace. Because we tend to look for peace 
and we tend to look for stability in things that change as a church and are going to shift and fade away. I do. So as a church, there's this rhythm to say, no, turn from that and look to the things which are permanent and eternal. Anticipate the return of your king and all there is with it. And in that is directly connected to your peace and your stability of heart. And some of us wrestle because we're trying to find peace by looking back and filled with sorrow and loss and hurt and whatever stage you are in life and whatever you are in life. Ours is to look ahead to the glorious promised return of Christ and be people who are characterized by a hopeful, joy-filled, rock-solid anticipation. But yes, I know the world's a mess, but the day He's coming to make it right. And my life will be consistent with who he is and what he's promised. And his spirit empowers me from within to live this kind of life. What sort of people ought we be characterized by peace? So we remember to anticipate. Jesus' followers wait with purpose. In our waiting, we count his patience as salvation. In our waiting, we pursue growth as disciples of Jesus. And then last one, I'll give you one final point. It's this. You can turn there if you want. This will be on the screen. But you can leave 2 Peter or Colossians where a statement. Turn to Acts chapter 1. One final little statement from Jesus. They'll drive our last big idea. Acts chapter 1. Give you the context really quick, and then I'm just going to read a couple verses. So here's the situation. Jesus has died. He's been buried. He's risen from the dead. He's walked on the earth post-resurrection now for 40 days with his disciples. And the book of Acts tells us he's been teaching about really one ultimate theme. That's the kingdom of God. What's coming? His return, the establishment of his kingdom. As you can imagine, he's here on the Mount of Olives. He's right outside Jerusalem. He has his disciples. And you and I know what happens next. He's going to ascend and sit on the right hand of the Father. The disciples don't know all that's happening here. They don't know what's next. And verse 6, they come to him and they ask Jesus a question. I bet if you were there, you'd probably ask something exactly like this, and so would I. Verse 6. So when they had come together, the disciples and Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Lord, you've been doing all this teaching about the kingdom and about your return and all that's happening. Here's what they're saying. Let me translate. Can you give us a timeline? Lord, is now the time? We, we want to be able to know the date. Lord, is it, is it time? We see all the signs. It's got to be now. And Incredible what Jesus says. I love this. He says, verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know. You remember, beloved, as we anticipate the return of Christ and we read about the return of Christ and all that the Bible says about his return, it is to produce in us a hope, it is to enable us to endure, and it's to produce in us a life change as we rightly anticipate his return. But the majority of the time, it's not to give us a timeline. He says, it's not even yours to know. Father, the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
In verse 8, he says, but in your waiting. He says this to them 2,000 years ago. He says this to us today. But in your waiting, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they lived. In Judea, the surrounding district. Samaria, that place they really didn't want to go. And to the ends of the earth. Here's your last big idea. It's simply this. In our waiting, we pursue the growth of others as disciple makers of Jesus. So if you put all this together, and I'm going to invite the team just to come on up. We're going to move into a time of response, but but we're not finished. So don't don't check out on me. Jesus is, is saying this. Look, I'm going to return. All my promises are sure. But in your waiting, if you're anticipating rightly and you're anticipating well, it will be a sobering thing to your life to set what is priority first and you will be pursuing growth in your own life as a disciple. What sort of people ought we be? Is there a hunger for the Word? Is there a hunger for God's people? Is there a hunger for the church? Is there a desire in you that your desires are changing? Your motivations are changing? They're more like Jesus every day. He says there's equally this desire in you. Watch. Not only that you are growing as a disciple, but you give your life to helping others grow as disciples of Jesus. He says you're going to be my witnesses. He says you're going to be a witness right where you live. You're going to be a witness to the region, you're, you're, I'm going to call you to go to places you're not that we're comfortable with. And you're a part of a mission that will reach the ends of the earth. And oh, by the way, I'm going to empower you through my spirit to do it. And how do we respond? Well, we actively ask the question, how am I? Not how am I trying to fit disciple making into my life. How am I building my life around the call of Jesus? Who am I investing in? Who am I going to to prayerfully and hopefully be able to share the gospel of Jesus with them this Christmas season? Sharing the message, inviting them to a Christmas Eve service, using the resources this church has provided. And maybe you start, what's this, with the people who are closest to you. Moms and dads, brothers and sisters, grandparents. How are you investing to help the children and grandchildren that are around you to actively help them take their next step towards Jesus? What does that look like in your home? Listen, one of the great things about this Advent series is everything we talk about here on Sunday lines up perfectly with the FDP. You have a tool to begin making disciples there at home that we pray carries over into 2024. It's a way of life, an invitation. Who can you reach out to with an invitation to the Christmas Eve service? Who can you purpose to pray for? How can you set aside your largest Christmas gift this season to be a kingdom gift? As we as a church talk about the thing called Christmas gift. I'm going to pray for us. Pastor Paul is going to come and lead us through a time of response. I'm just going to say I'm grateful not just to be one of your pastors. I really am grateful to be part of a church. 
that during this time of the year, we're not just looking back and having sweet memories and enjoying all the fun there is of Christmas. You are being called to something more. Look back, Thomas. What sort of people ought we to be in light of who he is and his promises? Father, thank you for your word. We say, based on the authority of Scripture, with great anticipation, come, Lord Jesus. And may it be so. In your name we pray. Amen.